is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Tara Callaghan. Thanks for joining us. The theme of this year's bald eagle nesting season was most certainly resilience. End-of-season data compiled by the Audubon Eagle Watch program found 148 nests lost during Hurricane Ian. Yet roughly 70% of the eagle pairs that did lose a nest were able to rebuild despite massive tree loss. I spoke with Sean Lee Breeding, Audubon's Eagle Watch program manager, and Mike Braun, managing editor at WGCU, about our fascination with these iconic birds and how bald eagles are able to endure Florida's ever-changing landscape. Let's hear that conversation now. Sean Lee Breeding, welcome to Gulf Coast Life, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And Mike Braun, thank you so much for being with me here in the studio. It's a pleasure, Tara. We got the Eagle Tag Team here together again to talk more about Florida Eagles. Uh, Sean Lee, I'd love to start with you. The Eagle Watch program, it started in 1992, and it's based out of the Audubon Center's uh, Birds of Prey. And the program's goal is really specifically to protect Florida bald eagle nesting pairs. So please tell us more about how Eagle Watch began and why it's necessary to have here in Florida. Definitely, yeah. So um, Florida actually has one of the largest nesting populations of bald eagles outside of Alaska, so a lot of people aren't aware how fortunate we are to live here. We have a a large uh, population of eagles in Florida, and the program began back in 1992 when eagles were still on that list of threatened and endangered species. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, we were in danger of losing the bald eagle forever due to human persecution and the pesticide DDT. But once we protected them and took measures to help them recover, they made a massive comeback. So, um, but back in 1992, Floridians were concerned, you know, about the population plummeting. And we had some local volunteers here at the Center for Birds of Prey who wanted to make sure that future Floridians would always have a chance to see bald eagles. And they began this program of going out and monitoring nests in three central Florida counties. So it was about 20 volunteers. And just the goal is, of course, to document the nest and protect them from development and so on. And the program's really grown since then. Um, Obviously, in 2007, the eagles were delisted, so they're no longer on that list of threatened and endangered species, which is always a great conservation success story that reminds us we really can make a difference when we take steps to help animals and the environment. But, um, you know, they are still protected by state and federal laws. It's illegal to cut down their nest tree at any time. It's illegal to disturb them while they're nesting. And so the, the program goals for Eagle Watch now have shifted more to protection and documentation. So documenting where these nests are is really the first step to protecting them. And then volunteers are out there, you know, monitoring the nest to make sure that nothing illegal is going on while the eagles are nesting, making sure that they have the perfect conditions to be successful in their nesting attempts. And those are really the the goals going forward now that the eagles are off that list of threatened and endangered species. And Eagle Watch volunteers, I believe you have about 600 volunteers now. Is that correct? Yeah, we just went over 700 this last season. So it keeps rising every year. I think it's tripled in size in the time I've been in this role, which is a great problem to have. But um, yeah, it keeps me busy. (laughs) And Eagle Watch volunteers, they found that with Hurricane Ian, they destroyed 148 bald eagle nests in southwest Florida this last September. But according to the end of season nesting data, populations have rebound quite nicely. Isn't that true? It is true, yes. So, you know, of the nests we monitored down in the areas that were hardest hit by the hurricane, we did document about 150 nests that were completely destroyed. But the eagles are just so resilient. They they just come back, they return, they make do with what's available. You know, there, were, there weren't there were very many suitable trees even to build in after the hurricane, but 
Um, about 70% of them did go ahead and rebuild. Not all of them were successful in their nesting attempts, unfortunately, which is to be, you know, expected based on having to start from scratch at the start of the season. Sean Lee, none of those nests were with eggs, correct? Not, yeah, none of them had eggs, thankfully. Usually the hurricanes, fortunately, hit early enough. Um, usually the earliest we get eggs is um, in November, like mid to late November. So they were all, you know, just kind of at the nestoration stage, as we call it. They come back and, you know, come back and meet their mate again, check on the nest, start refurbishing it, getting it ready for the nest. Next, next, I'm sorry, nest, next nesting season. <laughs> From the rebuilt nests, more than 100 chicks have fledged as well. Is that typical uh, for nesting season in general, or how does that really compare to past hurricanes like Irma or even ones that were a bit more devastating? It's, it's pretty much on par with what we see with past hurricanes. The productivity for the eagles that were impacted by Hurricane Ian was lower than the average, but as I said, that's to be expected because they had to start from scratch. Um, they were often rebuilding in less than suitable nest trees, and we had some you know, nest collapse or sometimes, often what happens weirdly when um, eagles rebuild a nest, sometimes great horned owls take it over. Um, great horned owls use the same type of nest that eagles do, and great horned owls don't like to build their own nest. So I've seen this often with hurricane season. You know, the eagles have rebuilt the nest, and then the owls just come along and take it over and use it. So we have some of that going on this year as well down in, like, Lee County, for example. Right. And, Mike Braun, you've been covering the lives of the very famous eagle nesting pairs, uh, the Southwest Florida Eagle Cam. That was this year, Harriet and N15. Uh Almost a decade you've been covering the eagle pairs and the nesting pairs That's there right. at North Fort Myers. And this year was quite a scene, I think, to say the least. Oh, uh, you can always, you, you could always uh, count on having drama on the North Fort Myers nest, uh, Harriet M15. <laughs> and before M15, uh, Ozzy and Harriet, uh, I mean, we, we've had such different, I mean, we've had years where both eagle eggs failed to hatch. We've had years where we had two failed eggs and then they relayed two more eggs. So they've gone through every permutation that you possibly go through at that nest. And then this year, the tragedy of, of losing Harriet, which we still don't know what happened to her. So we can only assume that something nefarious happened. Uh, but M15 stu- you know, rose to the occasion and managed to get E21 and E22 fledged. Yes. So it was a su- successful year despite the tragedy. Eagles are no novice when it comes to natural disasters. The first eagles were descendant from kites what, 36 million years ago. So again, is it surprising to you that the population was really able to bounce back this well after Ian? Not necessarily surprising, but it is always encouraging to see. Um, they are so hardwired to nest and to reproduce, and they make do with what they have available. And I've seen this play out time and again um, You know, with previous hurricanes that have hit different parts of the state while the eagles were nesting. Um, but they are so resilient, and you can see that even in the fact that just with a little bit of help from some federal protections and some conservation measures, they did make such a massive comeback in such a short amount of time. You know, from the 70s to 2007, um, they made that massive comeback from less than 80 nesting pairs in Florida at the time they were listed. They're now up to about 2,500 nesting pairs. Bald eagles as a species, are they biologically able to endure devastation in any kind of particular way? Other than just their natural uh, resilience and their natural ability to kind of adapt, you know, I think, you know, just like some people can adapt to change and kind of flex and move and go on. Mm. And some people tend to be less, you know, flexible and, you know, less resilient. 
And eagles really do seem to find, you know, we're seeing here in Florida that a lot of them are now nesting on man-made structures. Mm. So that's kind of a flex or adaptation to living amongst humans. A lot of eagles are now nesting in urban areas closer to people. They've grown used to our ways, so to speak. Um, So they definitely, I think their adaptability and flexibility really does help them weather some of these changes, but, you know, climate-wise, human-wise, and so on. Yeah, we, we pretty much saw that with um, Harriet and M15. Uh, their, their nest is right along a major roadway, I mean, within feet of a major roadway. Uh, they rebuilt in exactly the same place this year, uh, raised two eaglets. Um, they were, they were di- bothered and disturbed, and we had issues with people trying to drop food off for M15 after Harriet disappeared uh, on, a, on a regular basis. Um, the people who, who handle the Southwest Florida Eagle Cam, which watches the nest, could see people coming in on a regular basis, dropping food off or trying to drop food off. And they were resilient enough to n- not be bothered like that by that like they could have been. Yeah, that was a, you know, such an amazing thing to see M15 raise those young by himself. And my time in this role, typically, you know, if the female survives and the male disappears, the female will just take a new mate and she will, and the new mate will come in and raise those babies because he wants to get on her good side, right? He <laughs> wants to be her mate next year. So, um, and so cause the female is dominant in bald eagles and all birds of prey, actually. So the female is the dominant one of the two and she really calls the shots. So I was a little concerned. I hadn't actually, in my experience, seen a male raise a nest successfully on his own. People were asking me at the time, and I said I'd give them a 50-50 chance. You know, they're a little bit older, but it's a lot of work defending the nest from intruders and then catching the food. You know, it's a lot to do at once, and usually, you know, it does take two adults, but I was really proud to see he was able to do that. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guests. Sean Lee Breeding is the program manager for Audubon's Eagle Watch program. And Mike Braun is a managing editor at WGCU. And he's reporting on eagle nesting pairs that made famous by the Southwest Florida Eagle Cam for at least a decade. And you can join our program and our conversation as well. You can share maybe even a bald eagle sighting of yourself. I would love to see that. Share some photos or even just a story on social media with us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can use the hashtag GCU. You can now also find WGCU on threads. Though bald eagles, they were, like you said, they were delisted in the Endangered Species Act in 2007, and the protections are still in place. And locally here, you know, Florida, what are those protections like through the state? And how does that maybe differ from what the national protections are? So the state protections are actually um, generally the same as the federal. It's, uh, you know, it defaults to you can't chop down their nest tree without a permit, a federal permit. You can't disturb them while they're nesting. You can't shoot or harass them. Florida Fish and Wildlife is now the law enforcement, really, for those laws. So, um, you know, some cities and some counties actually have their own regulations. I think Cape Coral has um, some regulations on file as far as building, how close you can be to the nest and so on. Um, so in general, you know, but generally it does default to the federal level for those, um, you know, those those protections that go along with them. I uh, It's kind of fascinating to watch what's happening here in Florida. I, I was involved in Ohio. I was an outdoor writer at a newspaper in northeast Ohio in the 80s and watched as Ohio built its own eagle, um, not reintroduction, but eagle enhancement program. Uh, I went out in the field many times with Division of Wildlife people to 
go up the trees, get the eaglets, get down, have blood and that kind of stuff just to make sure the health. So it's nice to see now how the eagles are doing so well compared to how they were doing back in the 80s. You know, we use a lot of that information to inform our management decisions today. And although we don't go up in trees and remove chicks and, you know, draw blood and that type of thing, uh, the Eagle Watch program actually does have an auxiliary banding study that we do in conjunction with the Center for Birds of Prey. So opportunistically, as we receive young eaglets that come into our clinic that either fell out of their nest before they were ready to fly or whatever the case might have been, if we know what type of nest they came from, they get a colored leg band at release. That tells us, you know, green band for a natural nest. They get a black band if they came from a nest on a man-made structure. And the goal is really to look to the future because we do have about 20% of the Eagle Watch nests are now on man-made structures. Just curious to see if the type of nest a chick hatches in influences the type of nest it chooses when it's mature at five years old and, you know, settles down to start its own family. So we're using this banding study to hopefully answer that question. We've been doing the banding study since 2017. And this year we actually had our first potential resighting of a banded bird from the 2017 cohort was actually nesting or defending a territory over in Pinellas County on the West Coast. So that That's was fantastic. Really That's absolutely nice. Yeah. I'm glad you, yeah. you mentioned the future, uh, Sean Lee. Um, we are absolutely, uh, when I say we, uh, South, Southwest Florida, the Eagle Cam, WGCU, are on tenterhooks waiting for September and October to see if M15 returns with a new mate or if a new mate will show up if he returns. That's probably going to be one of the biggest stories this fall here, environmentally-wise, uh, also with the year anniversary of Ian. Uh, but we, we want to make sure, we want to find out what's going to happen. It's almost like a soap opera right now. You know, what what's next <laughs> for M15? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure, you know, there were a number of different eagles that showed up while he was trying to raise the young. It mostly seemed they were interested in the free lunch. But, <laughs> um, you know, the, like I said, the urge to nest is so strong. And um, I would imagine he'll probably have a number of suitors show up. We have a, a nest here in the Orlando area that had something Somewhat similar happened. Actually, the year I started this program, 2017, it was a pair that had nested in this territory for decades. And the female got in a territory fight and ended up perishing from her wounds, unfortunately. And the male, you know, had a number of females come through year by year. You know, sometimes they'd work on the nest together. The female would hang out. Maybe they'd act like they were going to nest. And they never did successfully nest and we just you know we felt so bad every year this poor eagle like is he ever going to you know get a good good new mate and this year was the first time in seven years he finally got a mate and they nice. fledged one chick so it took it it seems to take longer anecdotally just from my limited experience and it's the male that survives and takes a new female just because they are so dominant but um mm. you know would it depend on the age of the eagle I'm, I'm sorry. Um, you know, and it could. Yeah, it could. Sometimes you do see that. Like, um, you know, maybe a male takes a new younger female. It takes her a while to figure out how it works if it's their first nesting season. There's so many variables that can go into um, successful nesting. So it, it just depends, um, you know. But I wouldn't be surprised either if some like a female shows up and they, you know, hit hit it off right away and lay eggs and are successful this year. It could, it could easily go just any way, really. 
I found it very interesting when you said that, you know, depending on the eagles that are banded, uh, where they will be nesting, if it's a man-made structure, if it's, you know, a more of a natural structure, that if they were maybe fledged in that particular place, like a man-made place versus, you know, a, a beautiful high tree, that maybe they will wind up uh, having a, a nesting season or, or mating in that similar structure. That's very interesting to me that they would know or, or think to do that. But I suppose, again, it's it's really just adapting to your surroundings. Yeah, and so, you know, we're not convinced that that it, that it will have any impact mm. on the type of structure they choose, but really just trying to answer that question and look at it and see if, you know, maybe we're wrong, but because they are so adaptable. And every year we have pairs who, in some parts of the, the state, like, you know, the West Coast, Hillsboro, Tampa area, the majority of the nests in those areas are now on man-made structures just because there isn't a lot of suitable habitat in those, mm. you know, highly developed areas. But um, we see pairs over there that go back and forth. Some pairs will nest on a cell tower one year, and then the next year they're in a tree, and then they go hmm. back and forth. So, um, you know, they, they do kind of just go with the flow and pick what works best for them. Who knows why they do what they do? But um, it's really interesting to watch all their different behaviors and choices. Well, we have Eagle Watch, and thankfully, you know, the Center of Birds of Prey to help us figure out why they do what they do, right? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, there's always something fascinating to learn. And bald eagles, they they are iconic in, in American culture and synonymous with ideas of freedom and perseverance. I mean, we're in the, the month of July, Independence Day. Do you think that that iconic status maybe makes it easier to advocate for these particular birds as the icon, as the, you know, national symbol? Oh, definitely. You know, people are always excited to talk about bald eagles or hear more about them or go, go look at them. There's just a natural affinity for them because we've grown up in the U.S., you know, with them as our national symbol. They are actually only found in North America. So they, um, this is their range here where we live. But, um, you know, they, the only time I really come across anyone who's not excited about bald eagles is when their nest is impacting property they own. If maybe they've got some property they want to sell that has an active nest on it, it can limit what they can do with it because you're not allowed to cut down the nest tree and so on. So, those are generally the only time people aren't excited about bald eagles. But yes, I, you know, they're very fortunate to have, um, you know, such a following and people are really concerned about their future and want to make sure that they're doing well. Yeah, we can see that with the Southwest Florida Eagle Can. They've had millions of views. Uh, normally, there's a couple thousand people watching when the camera's up and running. Uh, given that, and that's one of the one of the easiest ways to, to interact or, or watch an eagle nest. Uh, but you can also see, I mean, you, you have the Center for Birds of Prey in Maitland. What exactly, if, if you're going to visit a place like that, what exactly can you see there and what, what exactly can you experience? Oh, the Center for Birds of Prey is just an amazing little um, refuge in the center of Orlando. It's, uh, it's one of Audubon, Florida's nature centers. It started actually in 1979 with the rehab clinic to treat injured birds of prey. So we get about seven to 800 birds of prey through our doors every year that um, we try to you know rehabilitate and get back out into the wild. And then some of those birds aren't releasable, so over time, a number of them are permanent residents here. So if you visit the center, you'll see all of the native species of raptors that we have in Florida, um, the ones that can't be released. We also have some ambassador birds that will come out on the glove that you can meet up close, so you can see a bald eagle or a great horned owl or whatever else it might be. Um, but it's a nice little change of pace from, you know, a lot of the touristy things there are to do in the area. So uh, we always, you know, encourage people to come visit, bring your out-of-town guests 
Um, and there's, it's just a nice little place to visit right on the lake here. It's a beautiful location. Just don't say it's educational. You might get more kids there. <laughs> it is educational. <laughs> I think you just say do, you can see do. an eagle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do a lot of education programs here as well, um, on-site and off-site. So I'm always trying to get the word out about how to help raptors and birds of prey and make sure that they're successful. Why is it important to keep protecting bald eagles and to keep advocating for them and, and creating programs just like Eagle Watch? Well, they are, you know, an apex predator. They're kind of at the top of the food chain. So they give us a good insight into what's going on in the environment. And anytime you protect a species like this, um, you know, you're protecting all the other animals maybe that live in its habitat that aren't as quote unquote, you know, sexy. Uh, you know, maybe it's harder to get people excited about some type of mouse that lives out in the woods that's disappearing. But if they share the habitat with the eagles and you're protecting the eagles, you're protecting the habitat for all of those species that live in that area and depend on, you know, that environment. So um, I, I always use that as my reason, you know, alone for protecting them because we do care. They're our national symbol. We don't want to see them on the brink of extinction again. But also by protecting them, we are protecting habitats. It's so important to so many of the species that live in Florida, like the gopher tortoise or the burrowing owl and the indigo snake, things that are disappearing because of development and other pressures. Birding is such a very popular activity, I think, in many places, but especially here in Florida. What are some bald eagle birding tips that you would like to leave our guests with? Because, again, we would like them to do it safely and be able to experience that nature, but, you know, at a distance. Yeah, so all of our volunteers uh, agree to abide by what we call Eagle Watch etiquette or Eagle Monitoring etiquette. And that's just what we mentioned, you know, watching them from a distance, not trying to get too close. Um, some birders will use like playback calls of the birds to get a response. Mm. And that's really, really stressful for an eagle. You know, if you play another eagle's call just to get them to look over at you, in their mind, they think there is another eagle somewhere in their territory. They are extremely territorial and will fight to the death. So that, that stress and time you're taking away from them, devoting to their young, finding food, and so on. So we always encourage people not to use those plague-back calls. And just, like I said, you know, keep it quiet, keep it clean, give them plenty of space, don't try to get too close, and observe from a distance. Um, just, you know, what a, what a treasure and a pleasure to get to watch them nest. It's such a blessing and a, an amazing thing to get to do here. Well, it's actually, um, I mean, it could be a federal offense to bother them in some manner. Uh, I mean, like the people were trying to feed um, M15 after Harriet disappeared. Uh, that was something that if they were actually interfering, they could have gotten themselves in deep trouble. Yeah, feeding them, you know, and I under, you know, I always feel bad because I know these people are coming from a, a kind place in their heart of wanting to help. And I, I'm a softy when it comes to animals, so I totally get it. But what people don't understand is a lot of times the food we're offering isn't maybe um, nutritionally sufficient for them. It can cause issues. So it is actually illegal to feed them. Um, some of the other issues we get are people flying drones over mm -hmm. the nest, trying to get a better view of what's going on. And eagles will um, attack and, you know, get very agitated by drones. So that is all, anything that causes a disturbance. If the eagles are agitated or flying off the nest or abandoning, abandoning the nest because of what you're doing. That is a federal violation. Sean Lee, as we wrap up our conversation today, you know, I didn't, I knew eagles were quite ferocious, but I didn't really know that they would, if, you know, called to, to it, they would fight to the death. Uh, any other sort of facts or, or interesting anecdotes about eagles that you would like to leave with our listeners and share with us? 
Well, they are quite ferocious, but they can also be quite tender. It's really fascinating to watch. If you know, with the eagle cams, you get such a great view of how they tenderly rotate the eggs, even though they've got those giant talons. They kind of curl their feet under when they're moving around, so that they don't, you know, break the eggs. But at the same time, like I said, well, we we get a number of eagles in our clinic every year that come in with horrible wounds from territory fights. Sometimes they drown each other. One of them, they get in the water, and one will drown the other. It's just crazy. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, that's why it's so important to protect their habitat is their habitat's disappearing. They're getting pushed into smaller and smaller areas to nest in our state. They used to have about a mile around their territory. And now we have eagles nesting within three tenths of a mile from each other. Um, so it's good. They're learning to live amongst each other, but it does cause some issues with increased possibilities for territory fights. And we just want to make sure that they always have plenty of natural spaces to nest and do those behaviors and raise their young. Fantastic. Sean Lee, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate today. And Mike Braun, thank you so much for joining us here at Gold Coast Life. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Sean Lee. Thank you so much again for having me. It was fun. Our guests today were Sean Lee Breeding, Program Manager of Autobahn's Eagle Watch Program, and Mike Braun is Managing Editor at WGCU and has been reporting on the lives of the Southwest Florida Eagle Cam for the past decade. Thanks again to my guests, and if you miss any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Today's show is hosted and produced by yours truly. Our director is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Elisa Morataya. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Tara Calligan. This is WGCUFM Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.